0: Our Heavenly Father, how blessed we are and how thankful we are that we can be together here tonight with the promise of your presence and with the power of your word before us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word tonight to each one that is here. You see every heart, you know every need, and Heavenly Father, we know that you're the only one that has words of everlasting life. So we look to you now for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. would like to read from a text from which we've already heard this week. It's found in the second Peter, the third chapter. And I'll begin reading a portion of this chapter beginning with verse one. Peter is writing and he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. March seventeenth, 1974. Probably one of the most notable days in my life was the day I was baptized. It was a culmination of a decision that I had made back in Webster Springs the previous summer around the campfire circle Decision that probably was affected in many ways by not only the preaching and the teaching and the inspiration hour, the campfire that I attended, but probably very much also by what was going on in the world at the time. And many of you will remember, if I remind you this evening, of what was going on in the world at the time. The U.S. was pulling out of the war in Vietnam, the war they couldn't win. There were other wars going on that um, later that year, during that time that I was in my repentance and conversion. In October, The Egyptians and the Syrians attacked Israel on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And with some early victories, they later that month were utterly defeated. As the allies of both of these sides supported their sides, the Cold War intensified. There were other things going on in the Supreme Court of this land. The landmark decision of Roe versus Wade passed and abortion became legal. And the social fabric of the land began to change drastically. There were other things going on. It was the introduction of the what was called the UPC, the Universal Product Code, And I really remember that because it seemed to usher in a lot of talk of a cashless society, of a one-world government, of what was coming. And these and undoubtedly other events contributed, no doubt, to the advisors of camp at the time of deciding that the theme for the camp year of 1974 should be "Behold." I come quickly. And those events and, and what was being preached and taught at the time, and, and that was in the very beginning of my Christian life, very much influenced what I was thinking and, and how I felt in my early Christian life. I believed that the Lord's return was imminent so much so that, that I took very seriously the scripture that is, that is found in, in 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine, where it says that the time is short and those that, that are married would be like those that aren't and really believed and thought that, that I surely would not get married, let alone raise a family. Well, 10 years later, within a month, I did get married. And now, 40 years later, I'm here at camp with five grandchildren. And as I look back over those 40 years and, and remember especially a song that we, we want to, that we often used to sing. It's not in our camp book anymore, and Sister Lori, wherever you are, you might want to put it in the new camp book. The song we sang of years of time have come and gone since I first heard it told that Jesus would come again someday. And if back then it seemed so real, then I just can't help but feel how much closer his coming is today signs of the times are everywhere and so on the song goes i don't think that it's a coincidence that today this week 40 years later we have as our theme even so come lord jesus A lot has changed in the past 40 years, but ironically, so much has stayed the same. This country is still fighting wars that they can't win. The Middle East is in chaos at this very moment and for the past several years. And Russia, there's no telling what will happen there, but certainly relationships between them and the West are getting very cold. We know that the courts are continuing to change the social fabric of our land, of our lands. And we ask ourselves the question, where will it all end? And as much as things have changed, they are still very much the same. But it's 40 years later. And we're preaching a similar message. We're proclaiming a similar message about the coming of Jesus again. And as much as I was influenced in my early Christian life by that belief and that teaching, and still have and still am, it has somewhat waned over the years. And I do look at things a little bit differently now than I did back then. I've come to realize, as this scripture that we have before us, that it's really true that God measures time entirely different than we do. For Him, a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And you know, as I have read the scripture over the years, I, I really get a sense that the, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, really took seriously the Great Commission, believing that as Jesus ascended up to heaven and promised that he would return, that that was imminent, that it would happen in their lifetime. And based on that belief, they took the gospel message to the four corners of the world, many of them, and died there. The Apostle Paul spread the gospel over much of the Roman world. And as we read the scriptures, we can see that that they earnestly believed that, that Christ would return in their lifetime. We can read that even in the very next book of the Bible here, where in John, the first chapter, or the second chapter, First John, it says, John says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They must have believed it, as did those in Jerusalem when the Roman armies encompassed them and they remembered the words of Jesus of what they should do as he spoke about the last times and the things that were coming as as in Jerusalem would be encompassed about by its enemies. Beloved, I believe that throughout the last two centuries since the time of Christ, generation after generation Have believed that Christ would return, many of them in their lifetime. Were they mistaken? Obviously, He did not. Obviously, He has not. But, beloved, what I've come to realize, which is nothing profound at all, is that the day of the Lord is not simply the day the Lord returns back to earth. But the day of the Lord is the day when every one of us will meet him. And as we were so vividly reminded last night, that day can come at any time. And even even if it doesn't come unexpectedly or prematurely, with the brevity of life and how quickly it passes and how quickly these 40 years have gone by, it will be here tomorrow. And so now, as I think about it and have contemplated, I guess I have to say that I think that I'm more likely to die a natural or perhaps an unnatural death rather than the Lord coming. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't believe it could happen or that it, that it will not happen in my lifetime. Of course it can. It's just the sense I have, and I know there's, there's those of you here that, that, that study this a whole lot more and know a whole lot more, and perhaps if you enlighten me a little bit, I might see that a little bit differently. But it really doesn't make all that much difference The day of the Lord is the day that we shall meet him. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air. Whether it's a natural death or whether it's meeting the Lord in the air, that is the day of the Lord for you and me, brother and sister, and for you, my friend a day of reckoning we read together here about scoffers who say where is the promise of his coming i think of those that might speak like that more as uh, more like mockers those that are really doubters that really don't believe it But could it be, could it be that that over the span of 40 years that in some way I too have become a scoffer or maybe you and haven't taken it seriously that the Lord is coming again or that the day of the Lord is also when I will see him again? We read together here that that we should count this delay in the Lord's coming not as some kind of evidence that God's promise is not going to be fulfilled, but rather that it is the evidence that God is patient, that he is long-suffering, and as the Bible says and we have read, that he is not willing that anyone should perish. And so for those of you that are here tonight that still don't know him, this message from God's word is also for you, that you would consider that even if we are in the end times, that you need to make a choice, you need to make a decision, you need to get right with God so that when that day of the Lord comes for you, you will be ready to meet him. And you need to turn in repentance But brothers and sisters, it's a message for us as well. Have we become lax in our Christian life? Have we become, in some ways, like the scoffers? Oh, they've been saying it for years. They said it 40 years ago, and they're saying it again today. Is it really going to come? And even if we're not saying it with our mouths, do our lives say it, the way we live our Christian lives. Where on one hand we may be believing that the Lord will come, and even saying it, but living something that is entirely different. He wants to prepare us, and we are here this week to be prepared for that day of the Lord like to read another portion of Scripture, one that, that speaks about these end-of-life experiences, this day of the Lord, and it can, can look and appear in many different ways. It's found in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus was confronted, as it says here, when one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Jesus, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We're not given a lot of details of this encounter that Jesus had. Jesus listened to what they had to say quickly assessed the situation because he could obviously see into their hearts and then made this statement. Take heed, beware of covetousness. A man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. And he spoke right to their hearts. And then he spoke a parable, a parable to drive the point home and ended it by saying, And so is he. Let me read it. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So it begs the question of every one of us tonight, beginning with me Are we rich towards God? Are we ready for this day of the Lord? Is the message, is the message that we've been hearing, the messages we've been hearing and studying throughout this week, are they sinking in? Are they getting through to us? Recently, several weeks ago, I went to my parents' home should rather say my parents' house. It's not a home anymore. Most everything of their belongings, which really was not of much earthly value, has been distributed amongst their children. Most of it had simply sentimental value, and little monetary value. But there were a number of boxes tucked away in a back room that that still needed to be gone through. They had obviously come from drawers that had been emptied. and Before we would just simply toss those things, they needed to be gone, gone through, and so I, I did the task. And as I was going through these things, there were four things that I came across that I would like to share with you tonight. And as I do, I hope that with God's help, I can also share with you perhaps the significance that they had as I thought about them, and perhaps that they can also have in your life and in my life as we consider them. There were all kinds of papers of, that really represented much of the things in my parents' life, bills that were paid, insurance policies, documents that were no longer of any value. But I came across tattered newspaper article from 1964 that was the house plan that my dad built his house after. And the mail-in plan that he, he mailed in for, as well as the rough blueprint that was drawn from that which was to become some years later the house that he built for his family. And he did build that house for his family and it became the home. And it's been said that a house is built of wood and stone, but a home is built by love alone. For more than 40 years, it became our home. As we grew up, and left to make homes of our own, but it was still home. But now it's become a house again because it's, it's empty. But the memories and the experiences and the love that we experienced there is yet very much alive. It's where we learned about God. It's where we learned to love him most of us in our family. And we were by far an ideal family. There were problems, plenty of them. And yet, it was something that, I think I speak for all in our family, that we hold dear to our hearts because our parents made it into a home. And I couldn't help but re- reflect that, that how important how valuable is that for every one of us? It's something that we shouldn't take lightly. Beloved, the family and marriage is the very thing that God instituted to be foundational in society. And as it falls apart around us, He is looking to us to do what he intended it to do. And in Malachi he clearly points out that marriage was for the purpose of raising godly children. Of course it's it's for other purposes of of, of that that we know, but God designed it that way, that the home and godly parents and a Christian home would be the place where God's message would be propagated. Where his truths would be passed down from generation to generation. Where they would be not only taught, but they would be caught. And it's wonderful as we gather here at camp to see families, young families. And I'm here to encourage you, especially young couples and families, take seriously the responsibility of having a godly home, of raising godly children, as the Bible says, in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. And those of you that that perhaps are hoping to be there someday and someday soon, to start preparing for that now as you live your Christian life. And for some of us that are past that, that that we would consider perhaps some of the things we did wrong and use it to help those that are coming behind us and that we would also be there for those grandchildren, our children's children and be there to help point the way for them. And as you go home on Saturday morning, or whenever it is, and back to your life, your daily tasks and all that they are, I want you to think about what's really important and what really matters. The house you live in that is now your home will someday become a house again and belong to somebody else. And even if you build another one, and build it bigger and better and more elaborate, in the end, in the day of the Lord, what really matters is the love that you fostered and what you have considered to be most important. And I know that there are some that are here tonight that perhaps are having difficulty relating to that. Maybe the home... That you or the house that you grew up in was not at all the kind of home that I described or the home that you wanted. And maybe the home or the house that you're living in right now is, is in turmoil. And whatever your circumstances are and whatever difficulties you have going on in your life, I want you to know that Jesus is speaking to you right now. And he's telling you that he came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And as much as my parents... And me as a parent could identify with the Apostle John when he wrote in his third epistle that he has no greater joy than this, than to know that his children are walking in truth and how true that is for us as parents. And how important it is for us to walk in truth and according to the scriptures so that those that come behind us would find their way. I also found some letters, letters that were written from this side of the ocean to the other side of the ocean, describing the state of the church in America and Canada and what was wrong with it, what was wrong with the believers. And among them, as much as I could read and understand, because it was in German, even, and I'm not quite sure if I read it there, but I have read it in letters from the same time, that even this assembly, camp, was not a good place to go. It was not a place for believers to go. Thankfully, quite a few years later, my parents did go and found out that it's a great place to go. It's a wonderful place to take your families. There's a whole lot of great and wonderful things that have happened here for more than a half a century. And by God's grace, will happen until the Lord returns. But it reminded me of darker days, some of which I had only heard about some that I had experienced, when somehow the the enemy had had been able to convince those of that time as he has convinced perhaps even us of this time to focus on the 5% that we disagree on instead of the 95% that we agree on. the enemy who has somehow the ability to make big things small and small things big and take our focus off of the things that are really important and put it on those that aren't. And I couldn't help but think that I too had to be ashamed That as I reflect back on the last 40 years, that I too have put my stake from time to time in the ground much deeper than it should ever go. And that I have had to not only rethink some of the things I propagated and believed, but regret and be sorry for them. and realize that on the day of the Lord, so much will look so pale in importance. When that day comes, will I really have lived out and put the emphasis where it ought to be? Even as we heard at the very beginning of this camp week, Seeing, that, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. When that day of the Lord comes, whatever it looks like, what will So many of the things that we have placed so much importance on really, really look like. I'd like to read a few more verses from Ephesians, they speak for themselves. This is what really matters. This is what really counts. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the teens sang about that for us. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let me drive it home with the words of this song Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who is riding in the sand, you made the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are all the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees. O Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. O Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You love every lost cause. You reach out for the outcast. For the leper and the lame, they're the reason that you came. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Those early apostles had a message, a gospel, a saving message from the Lord himself. And they lived till their dying day to bring it. And that's what's really important. Are we doing the same? As I continued to look through all the papers, I found something rather interesting. It was an invoice from 1988, from some kind of, I guess it was a second-hand store. And for $75, my father purchased what it said on the in, a violin that on the invoice said, Antonius Stradivarius, some other word and then fabricated 1713. 1988, all of my siblings, we were all adults. I'm not sure what dad was thinking. Perhaps maybe that one of his grandkids would do what his children didn't and take up a violin. Perhaps he naively thought that it was more valuable than it really was. As I went home, I sent an email to the family and just told them and sent them a scanned copy of the invoice and just let them know that as the executor that whoever had the violin should kindly let us know so that we could all have our share of it. Well, as it turns out, it's only worth a couple hundred and not a couple million. But I had to think that in life, so often... what sometimes may have the appearance of great value has little value. And When it comes to the end of life, we'll realize what Jesus so plainly and clearly taught and told not only to these two that were fighting over the inheritance, but to this this one in the parable that may very well have been a real person certainly was a real person that has existed millions of times over. That our lives do not consist of the things that we possess. And that if we are not rich towards God, nothing else matters. And how important that lesson is. That we would be rich towards God And the Bible tells us in in Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. And, And I think that that to some measure includes every one of us, relatively speaking. And certainly some more than others But the Apostle Paul says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to share, willing or ready to distribute and willing to communicate or to share. Rich in good works, rich in love, rich in what really counts and what really matters. And as you go home, as I go home, will we, can we evaluate our lives, our lifestyles? Not only what we buy, but what we do, with our time, with our resources, with the talents, and weigh it in the balance that God uses and ask ourselves the question, what's really important? What really matters? What will... What will our children think as they evaluate our lives when we are gone? Will they know for certain that we knew what was really important and that we lived it and that we believed it with all of our heart and that we didn't just say it with our lips? And I hope that as we go and in the coming years or year or years, as many as it will be, that as we have this expression on our hearts or on our mouths, perhaps, and in our hearts, that more importantly, in our hearts, we will make sure that we are living for those things that are really, really important. Finally, as I looked through the boxes, I came upon a collection of items. They were tapes of sermons, worn-out bibles, books of christians. Music, CDs, cassettes. Devotionals tucked into the pages of all the books dozens and dozens of devotionals all of the things that over the years my mom had filled her life with I couldn't help but think what a reflection that was of the life that she lived as she raised us 11 children and found the strength from God to do it she knew where to find it the strength She knew that that was important for her faith, for her walk with the Lord. And so it needs to require that I ask the same question, not only of myself, but also ask you to ask it of yourself. What are you doing to cultivate your walk with the Lord? to grow in grace, as the Bible says, and in the knowledge of his word. To make sure that when that day comes, whether it's meeting him in the air because you were raptured and taken, or whether it's meeting him after you have drawn your final breath, that you will be able to be ready to meet him, to be ready as we have read here in Peter as he instructed them about the day of the Lord. And I want to challenge myself and every one of us that what we learn, that we would take it with us, that we would apply it to our lives, and that our lives would become the testimony that we are really Truly ready for that day of the Lord. Let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. After all, our hopes and dreams have come and gone and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each may find. Oh, may all that come behind us find us faithful. Amen.